Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Managing Editor Brendan Slaughter joined by recruiting analyst Jared Hallis and joined this week by Beaver's Edge premium subscriber Nazarite, also known as Jacob. Jacob, thanks for joining us uh, on this edition of the Edge Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing real good. I'm just, you know, enjoying my day, trying to get started here with sports opening up and hopefully with college football opening up in the next month or so or two months. Most ago. certainly we're we're, we're absolutely uh, pleased to have you on the podcast, as we've done a couple times now. We've uh, ran with Hard Rock fan, uh, Jay Post, Jordan Post, and now we move on over to you, Naz. Uh, obviously one of our you know longtime supporters. You know, you're know you always on the damn board and whatnot. Uh, we really appreciate uh, you joining us. Glad to be here. Hopefully I don't uh, impair this uh, discussion too much because you guys do a good job. You got, a, <laughs> you got some legends to live up to, man. You know, you've had Jay Post. And, uh, and and Hard Rock come before you, so no pressure. Yeah, that's a solid pair. <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and just kick it off the same way uh, the fellas did, which is kind of an introduction uh, about yourself, your experience with uh, Oregon State and uh, Beaver's Edge. Yeah, quick synopsis. Uh, grew up on the Oregon coast down here in Coos Bay. Um, joined the military, got out of the military, uh, went to Oregon State. So I was, you know, mid-20s when I went there. Um, both my parents went to Oregon State, my grandfather, so I'm a third generation. Um, when I went to Oregon State, that's when I got involved in the rival site and met lots of friends, got into football officiating, and now into coaching. So, yeah, I've been part of the this website since, I think, 2005, 2006, so quite a long time. Quite a long time indeed. And uh, what's your uh, coaching background like? Just go ahead and share that with us a little bit. Sure. Um, when I got out of the Air Force, I helped coach up in the Portland area for a while. Um, when I went to college, I got invested in uh, football officiating. I've been doing that since 2007. Uh, this year, I got a teaching position at Marshfield High School and, and coaching the football team. Hopefully, we have a season here. Hopefully, it doesn't get pushed back to the spring. Yeah, no, no question. There's uh, certainly a lot to be uh, determined, especially at the OSAA level. Is right now they've kind of only put uh, uh, what's wait and see a couple more weeks yeah. band-aid on the situation. So we're all kind of waiting to see whether Oregon's going to go off. Uh, that's certainly a conversation point for us. Uh, whether Oregon's going to go off on point or you know take the route of California, Jared. I know you and I have talked with uh, several student athletes uh, from California that basically have had their entire you know senior season upcoming just the rug pulled out from under them mm -hmm. it's crazy times right now man it's just a, a very very clear indicator of what we're going through and unfortunately california is kind of the first one to uh to show some some really bad reciprocations of it as far as the the season goes um but again we entered it on the mailbag this morning uh and i'll answer it again you just got to be hopeful Again, they're leading the charge, so hopefully they're making logical decisions, and it proves to be uh, beneficial for for the kids. Certainly, you know, there's that's that's uh, that's kind of been the reoccurring theme throughout this entire thing since March, hasn't it, fellas? It's that if there's one thing certain, it's that nothing's certain, and things change on a daily basis. <laughs> and it's it seems like you know one day it's one thing, one day it's another, and you know um, us like everyone else certainly hopeful that uh, college football will happen. We'll kind of use that as a, a segue to get into our next conversation point before we talk about Oregon State's uh, two newest football commits since our last podcast. But I want to go ahead and start just uh, right off the bat, Naz. What was your reaction when the Pac-12 went conference only? And just 
if it does happen, what would a conference only season look like to to you, someone who's been a fan a long time and you know seen non conference games forever, just to go right into Pac twelve play? Yeah, it definitely means right out of the gate. Every every game really counts. I mean, it still counts, but every game counts. Uh, it's nice to you know see another Pac-12 po- opponent. I'm always sad not to see a Colorado or LA school. Um, but yeah, it's definitely different. You know, it, it's definitely familiar foes too. So um, yeah, kind of kind of didn't like it at first, but kind of warming up to the fact. And with a little bit later start, hopefully you know things clear up a little bit because a lot of the hotbeds are mostly in the Midwest. So and Oklahoma State game could potentially be dangerous you know just i think they have the best interest in the kids so that's what's that's what counts absolutely certainly jared go ahead if you had a point to add there no no i just completely agree with that as long as the best interest of the kids are in mind then they're making the right call yeah the interesting thing that kind of appealed to me about this about this when it first came out is you know obviously uh when i looked at i kind of was like you know the oh man is is this kind of the the first step before we get to a point where there might not be football, but you got to look at the, in the kind of vacuum shell of, you know, if you can keep things in house in reference to keeping things in conference, you might have a chance, you know, you're looking at, you know, we're seeing certain sports start to have success. You know, the MLS, the NBA had success from being in a, a bubble type format. And yet we're seeing live the MLB, which is, you know, requiring travel amongst different States and so on and so forth is not having as much success. So, you know, if they can find a way to keep kind of that, uh, keep things contained to those states and, you know, be really rig- rigorous about, you know, the process, I could see it working um, to an extent just based on the fact that you're trimming out all that excess travel and cross-country trekking, so to speak. You guys- if you're just joining us here on the Edge podcast, Brennan Slaughter alongside Jared Hallis and Beaver's Edge premium subscriber Nazarite joining us as well. Again, this is a new segment we're doing on Beaver's Edge where we're bringing in different uh, subscribers to join us on the podcast, talk about the latest things. Uh, again, Naz just with a great introduction from his background and, wh- and how he got involved with Oregon State sports. Uh, Naz, I got to ask you one more question just as it relates to this conference thing. We've seen in the past Oregon State really need kind of those, I'm not going to say cupcake games, but those mm-hmm. gimme games early on just to kind of build that. What, is, what does it say about kind of like, I think of like a season like, you know, a couple years ago when Oregon State played Southern Utah, right? And that was one of their two wins all season. If they didn't have that game, what happens to them if going right into conference play? Obviously, much different situation, much different team. But those non-conference games, especially for the Beavers this year, would have been very prime warm-ups for conference. I really, really liked how the non-conference schedule shook out this year. How much does that kind of just crush your your kind of your prep into the season your kind of game plan for getting up to speed in a certain amount of time what does that kind of do to that in your opinion yeah I mean definitely looking at the non-conference schedule I saw two wins you know Oklahoma State probably not on the road but yeah like you said but I think a lot of what my my expectations were because of having Mike Riley as our coach for so long and it didn't seem we'd start winning games till like October it always took them four or five games to get things going in the right direction i don't see the same shortcomings with smith um and we won't talk about gary anderson but uh but yeah just i, I you know it, everybody's on the same page too so you know game one versus whoever they haven't had any out of conference games no tune-ups no warm-ups no you know so we're all on the same page so i mean new coach i, I feel like you'll have them ready and there'll be growing pains but you know, 
you know, we're all on the same page. That's 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 the fair aspect of it, at least. No, and you you actually brought up a terrific point. You know, which you know many few Beaver fans that have at least followed the Beavers since the start of the new millennia. Who could forget that 2006 season when, you know, Oregon State started off two and three and then won eight of their last nine and finished 10 and four and got to that 10 win plateau. And, you know, the Mike Riley era, all based on the fact that, that season started off with a loss at Stanford um, or excuse me, that was uh, go back even further. That was 08. But I mean, a couple of situations in 06 and 08 where those slow starts got turned in. But it's just a different perspective to know that, like you said, those non-conference games uh, won't happen. Jared, you know, just kind of your perspective on that conference only uh, kind of setup and just, I guess for me, it's just, it's kind of still in awe a little bit. Like I never thought I'd see something like this and I'm kind of excited to see how it crystallizes and comes together. Yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of strange. You have your different opinions about it. There's a lot of people that are like, how does coronavirus know the difference between a, between a non-conference game and a conference game? Uh, and I see that side. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think they had to – I don't know. I, I wasn't at the table, so I'm not sure what, what logic went into the decision. Um, but I do know that as long as they continue to, uh, to, to work uh, and, and, you know, try to, to give us what is a season, I think we can't complain uh, because, you know, even a week ago or, or a week and a half, two weeks ago, we, we all thought there would be no season at all. Um, so, you know, if this is the road they want to go down, then I'm all for it as long as there's something that I can put on my TV in the fall. <laughs> Certainly, you know, that that is the thing is, uh, you know, it's it, it really is a um, um, a nice thing that people just want to, you know, it, it, you know, it was kind of the way, you know, I felt when I watched the NBA a little bit last week or caught up with the MLB, you know, this past weekend, what it was like just to kind of, you know, turn on sports or, you know, um, my buddy and I this last weekend, you know, went over to Buffalo Wild Wings. We're like, wow, there's sports on TV again. Like there are things back and it's kind of surreal just to see we're already taking steps to get there. And, you know, if all goes well, there's certainly um, a chance that, you know, things could continue to come together, um, you know, so to speak. Yeah, I went to Taco Mac the other day, and I had a similar experience. It was kind of when baseball was first, like, opening day. And uh, I was just like, I'm, I, I don't love baseball, but this is great. <laughs> it's so long ago. Well, you, anything but reruns. You're telling me you weren't, you weren't loving your Braves, Jared? I don't know oh, about all that. Watching them put up 14 runs against the Mets is always nice. But <laughs> at the same time, it's it's never been my main sport. I, I, I would like for it to – to be something I've become a, a bigger fan of, especially as the Braves continue to, to build. Uh, but, you know, I, it's never been my – I'm always basketball or, well, in order, probably football, basketball, playoff hockey, and then baseball. Yeah, you mentioned uh, – oh, for, for, for me, for me having, you know, the uh, the MLB, you know, closest being uh, the Mariners, it was uh, – I enjoyed watching the Mariners beat up on the Astros yesterday and get that victory. And then uh, you mentioned NHL. What do you think of? What do you both think of uh, the Seattle NHL team, the Kraken? Yeah, solid name for sure. Craziest. I mean, I gotta say that that is one of the most unique names. I was almost as shocked as that as I was years and years ago when the you know New Orleans franchise and NBA NBA rebranded as the Pelicans. And I kind of looked. I was like. The Pelicans, and now I'm kind of looking again, going, oh, the Kraken, but that's a pretty cool logo. I'm not gonna lie. 
Yeah, the logo is sweet. Seattle has always done very well with their logos, in my opinion. Definitely a fan. <laughs> Certainly, and you know, maybe maybe it's possible. Like I said, one day uh, that uh, beautiful arena that now houses, you know, a uh, NHL team, one day uh, grace us with the SuperSonics again. We could only only be so lucky. But we'll go ahead and uh, transition over to uh, the recruiting news of uh, since our last podcast, and that's. Two Oregon State commits. Uh, Jared, just kind of run down. Uh, let's talk about uh, JT and O'Marion. Just kind of uh, just going to kick it over to you real quickly first. What uh, your thoughts are on each guy, and then uh, over to you, Naz, uh, just kind of for your thoughts on each guy. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, two two very good pickups, and uh, two guys. Obviously, one was uh, one who you know had offers from the guys like LSU and Tennessee. And, you know, Nebraska, just some really big-name programs that generally do very well on the recruiting trail. So winning that recruiting battle, getting a guy who quickly jumps out at you on film, you don't even have to be watching his film for him to jump out at you. I mean, it, it, he's, a, he's a very versatile playmaker. He's got speed. He's got strength. Uh, I really like what I see in, in O'Marion. Uh, and then you move over to JT. He, again, not a guy with quite as many offers, but that has been proven to not matter a lot in the past. Uh, this is another situation where, and I, I, I haven't seen anybody say anything. For the most part, it's all positive remarks. Like this is a great pickup, and I agree because while yes, offer sheet does have some, uh, some, you know, something to do with how, how I guess promising the player will be at the next level. There's been many cases where you know you have a guy like JT who's got uh, some some great offers. Don't get me wrong. But with Oregon State being the first Power 5 school to jump in, you sometimes see some hesitancy from the fans. But with this one, I mean, he's already six foot six. He's already 230 pounds. Uh, he's, a, he's already a threat. You know, you can't teach size, and that is something that he certainly has. So I think, I think the fans really love both of these pickups, and for good reason. And I'm re- very excited to see, you know, how the class continues to grow and, and what these guys can do once they do get to campus. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting with O'Marion. You guys, we were supposed to have, we were supposed to do this last week, and you guys are like, oh, hold on, we'll just delay that for later. And I was, I never <laughs> would have, I never would have guessed it would have been this guy. I remember trying to ask you, but not trying to ask you. But it's yeah, a, you wouldn't yeah, be the only one that asks. Oh, I bet. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, just you know, he's got the size. He's so fast for his size and his age. He uses his hands well. He's explosive. Looks like he's got a great motor. And then you look at his offer sheet and, you know, like I'm one of the people that thinks that that's one of the best ways to barometer to check, you know, what type of player they're going to be. And sure. I had a litany of offers and, yeah. you know, just, just really excited. You know, we got some, I feel like we have a solid group of young D linemen, you know, with Stover, Hennessy and Loale, I think is how you say it. And, you know, some solid guys just need a, someone to plug the middle. Hopefully we can get a, I mean, Bennett's there, but hopefully another no tackle slash DT coming in this class um yeah and with uh jt it's always good to get a big tight end you know six six looks like he knows how to use his hands real well they split him out you know pretty good after the catch looks pretty athletic probably have to develop as a blocker a little bit but both good pickups and well you know you can't have enough good d linemen you know and tight end that tight end group's getting getting better and better and deeper and deeper more bodies is always better yeah solid solid two solid pickups my opinion yeah, most certainly. And, and you know, uh, Jared, a couple quick uh, thoughts for you just on these two guys, you know, um, real quick. So right out the shoot, 
is JT Byrne pretty much the exact same mold as we've seen now? Tegan Quatoriano, Luke Musgrave, Tommy Spencer, Jake Overman. I mean, you're maybe talking a couple inches difference, maybe a couple pounds difference, but it's very, very clear who Brian Wozniak's going after on the recruiting trail. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a, he's definitely a similar mold. And I think it's not even just the tight end position that you see that. Of course, you made some great examples there uh, with some guys who have come before him to kind of, you know, that kind of match those same stats on the way in. Um, but you see it as well. You look at the O-line, you see Coach M going after a lot of guys. I haven't seen anybody yet who's under like 6'1", at least. He's getting some trees down there. Same for the receivers. You see a lot of quick, shifty receivers who maybe aren't like 6'3", but closer to, to that six-foot mark. It just seems like they have their mold as a staff. They know exactly what they're looking for, and they pursue that. And I actually, I actually think it, it – I mean, obviously it's worked well for them so far. Put together a great class last year. Uh, and they're doing well right now. I think people are concerned about the ranking, uh, but it is still on, on the smaller side right now, and people can expect it or should expect it to stay that way. Uh, so I wouldn't get too caught up in that number, but just continue to look, like Brennan said, at the quality of these guys, the measurables, the film, and just trusting the staff because I, I think despite you know the, the fact that it is a smaller class, there are some really great additions who uh, will, will make a significant impact once they get to campus. Well, when I look at JT, right, and I, and I see a guy like him, you know, another tight end coming in, you know, we said after, like, they had the jackpot last year with Jake Overman and Tommy Spencer because, you know, you and I were talking, Jared, you know, a year or so ago, and we were like, yeah, we, you know, the, we didn't know if Oregon State was going to get Jake Overman because Tommy Spencer was a bit of a surprise commitment at the time. You know, yeah, then obviously a little bit of attrition happens in the position, um, Isaiah Smalls, who at the time people thought would be, you know, a decent tight end recruit, didn't really pan out, uh, ends up leaving the program, kind of opens up that spot. I mean, at this point, are you talking about a situation where the Beavers basically have, you know, we saw this last year, they really like to have that two tight end set, uh, Noah Togiak, Tegan Quatoriano, just for the run blocking, the pass blocking as well, and for the fact that, you know, by way of, you know, the West Coast, where college football is trended, I feel like that's a distinct advantage for them that, I mean, I just don't see these other programs having this much talent and depth at tight end, at least in the Pac-12. Yeah, I'm curious what, what you think about that, Jacob. Yeah, I mean, I think it's called 12 formation when you have double tight and two wide receivers. But, yeah, I just liked how they used the tight end last year. They A lot of times they'd have uh, Noah or Tegan in the H-back formation, and they'd pull them, and they'd be the kick-out block. Yep. They'd run traps. They'd run inside zones and both of them turned out to be pretty good blockers uh noah yep. proved greatly a blocking because obviously he came in as more as a receiver but yeah maybe someone like jt who's got the body and maybe hasn't really been shown how to block you know he can turn into that blocker that tegan looked like he was and you know he really can't like you guys said can't have enough 6'6 240 250 guys that can catch and block i mean that's like an extra offensive tackle out there yeah. catch a pass when well that that actually brings me to my next question. Do you guys think there's a chance that we could see one of these guys that's, you know, new in the pipeline and in this situation, I'm saying, you know, either, you know, either the guys from this last class or this class, we've seen in the past, you know, a guy like Dustin Stanton came in, recruited as a tight end, eventually put on more weight because he had a massive frame and turned out to be a starting right tackle that was, you know, completely effective throughout his college career. 
with that log jam, do you think there'll be enough kind of assignments to go around how it's spread out? Or could we see uh, Coach M maybe poach one of these guys? I definitely think you could. I mean, you know, like you said, the 6'6", 230 can turn into a 6'6". You can put 50 pounds on this freshman year and be that person. You know, obviously a tight end's probably got the feet for it. You just teach him how to block. And, you know, Coach M hasn't been picking up huge offensive tackles here and there. I mean, he picked up that kid that's the uh, Vecoso or however you say his name. Yeah, he looks like he'll be a solid prospect. But, you know, it's not like we have blue chippers knocking down our door offensive tackle. So, I mean, if you can take one of these kids and turn them into a Pac-12 tackle, that would be a great thing. Oh, certainly. And it was just something that definitely, you know, just caught my attention as I was kind of, uh, you know, starting to look at how that tight end class is shaken out. Obviously, um, you know, JT's not arriving for a little while yet. And, you know, you still have some a lot of eligibility amongst the current guys. Um, but we'll go ahead and transition over to uh, wrapping up on O'Marion. And uh, not to give too much away, Jared, but, you know, you and I obviously have our have our sources, you know, within, you know, um, the Oregon State program that, you know, talk to us, you know, about when guys are going to commit and whatnot. For them, you know, usually, you know, it's just kind of like, hey, you know, this guy might be here then, so on and so forth. For us to hear, you know, that they were thrilled about beating out some of these other schools that you mentioned earlier, Jared, that'll get anyone excited. Like, the Oregon State was thrilled that they were able to knock out some of these bigger schools. Absolutely. I mean, the offer list speaks for itself, and recruiting is a war. I mean, it is a, it's a very long war as well. A lot of these kids, especially when you're talking about guys like that, will have these offers since their freshman and sophomore years. Uh, so, you know, you have to build relationships, and they last a long time. And more often than not, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to miss on, on most of your, your targets. Uh, and then – I mean, I say that, you know, carefully. Uh, now, I, I shouldn't say most, but the guy, you're going to send out more offers than than you get in, in commitments, obviously. Um, and a lot of these kids still get a lot of effort put into them. So when you can win a battle against a school like LSU, who just won a national championship, perhaps with the most dominant team of all time, or Tennessee, who's also an SEC program, or Nebraska, who has a fantastic fan base, no matter what kind of record they have uh you know it's it's great and uh it, it's a it's a massive win and I, I mean just like you said we, we hear from the staff and stuff like that where they're just so elated to to pull in a guy uh of this stature and uh i think you know they have great reason to be i'm excited to see how it all pans out once he gets there for sure uh over to you naz just for the perspective of you know, for you as the fan, how exciting was it to, you know, pull a guy like O'Marion right out of not only Kyle Whittingham's backyard, mm. but, oh, c- conveniently, Gary Anderson's backyard, too, as he had an offer out to him as well. Oh, for sure. I I mean, I was super shocked. And you look at our D-line, sure, the, the depth's gotten better and the players are a little bit better. But you look at the offers that most of these guys had, you know, look at our starters like Hodgins. Did he have any other P5 offers? Did uh you know, did Rawls, did Whitley, you know, not a lot of them had a lot of offers. And this kid's coming in with offers from SEC schools. You beat out Utah and he's from Utah, you know. Yeah, definitely. Salt, Salt Lake, you know, you take him out of Salt Lake City. That's not easy. And he's Polynesian, you know, that's a big draw there at Utah and probably BYU and all those schools in Utah. So that that's a huge win. I can see why they're excited. And, and he's a kid that, from what I heard, is going to be here in the spring, you know, 6'5", or 6'3", 255, or, or around there. 
but you know, a kid that's going to show up on campus and maybe be in your two deep, you know, right away or, or be close, you know, that's seems like that's the goal he's setting, which, you know, that's good to see a kid that's that young, but yeah, just super excited when you can beat out schools like that and increase the talent and depth at the D line. And that's something we, we definitely need to address. I feel like. Well, certainly. I mean, you mentioned Isaiah Hodgins and I think Isaiah Hodgins is recruitment. People will look back years and years on and go, Wow. I mean, I mean, for Oregon State to land Isaiah Hodgins after I believe it was, let's see, was so, yeah, I mean, it was coming off of a pretty, you know, rough time for Oregon State, you know, his first year, they really, really struggled and had that, uh, had that change. But I mean, Oregon State was able to, you know, beat out Washington State, who was a vertical threat offense that was in the height of the Mike Leach era, and Oregon at the time, too. So, you know, you can kind of tell sometimes when you win with those offer sheets, as you mentioned, and kind of piece it together. And I look at O'Mary in the same way. I mean, if if the SEC was calling, this kid has talent. And that's where, you know, I've said over and over again with, you know, the transfer portal and whatnot – you know, it's not going to say it's rare, but it's not common for Oregon State to necessarily get those SEC level interior offensive and defensive lineman type guys. Mm-hmm. So I think this is uh, you absolutely kind of uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot of virtual high fives being given around the Valley Football Center after this one. <laughs> for sure. Um, transitioning over to uh, hoops. We had a couple commitments since this last uh, um, podcast and. Jared, let's go ahead and start on the men's side with uh, Deshaun Davis. I mean, this one caught me by surprise as the uh, uh, Deshaun, J- Des- excuse me, Deshaun Davis, the <laughs> 2021 shooting guard. That's going to be a mouthful for a couple years. Mm. Uh, chose Oregon State out of Trinity Valley Community College in Athens, Texas, uh-huh. over C- Seton Hall, who he was committed to out of college before he went to JUCO was a lot closer to his uh, um, hometown of the Bronx. Wayne Tinkle and company have been on a bit of a heater since the start of, you know, this, uh, you know, digital um, coronavirus, you know, recruiting ranks. And I'm not, I'm still trying to put my finger on it. You know, we talked a little bit about it. I think it was uh, um, either Jay Post or Jump Drive asked about it in our Beaver's Edge mailbag. It's almost like a lot more talent has been intrigued to come to this school with trace no longer here is that fair to say i'll let you take that one jacob sure i mean i think i even heard or read in some article where tinkle even said that he felt like having you know steven ethan and trace on the team you know kind of deterred other good players from joining that squad and i could see that you know the nepotism or whatever you know his kid's the star player, you know, are you going to get your touches? Are you going to get your, your minutes? Like that, that's a reasonable, you know, uh, conclusion to come to. So, I mean, obviously from what I've seen, we've gotten longer with the the class that's coming in now seems more athletic, you know, we might not have the pure scores like, uh, Trace and Steven, but you know, we got, we got guys that can put it in there. It's just the length I feel like has really been upgraded and, with Davis, you know, watching him, what was it, 21, 6, and 4 or something? So the kid, the kid yeah, can score, obviously. Yep. But, you know, he can pass, too. So I, I think he's kind of a combo guard, you know, 6'2 or 6'3. So, but just, just the fact that he, he looks like he's a guard we don't have. We don't really have a guard that's so explosive off the dribble that creates stuff. You know, sure, I think Hunt can be that guy, but Hunt's not the, 
the score that looks like Davis's. And, you know, Ethan's pretty good off the dribble, but Ethan doesn't seem as explosive. I mean, Ethan's a great player, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, so I'm excited about Davis. And it seems like, you know, a huge recruiting, you know, win because, you know, he was committed to Seton Hall out of high school. You know, he's probably known that coaching staff for three, four, sure. five years. And then Tinkle comes in and steals him away. You know, that's a big deal. And, you know, I have to give him credit. I really think they've seen their needs. I feel like Tinkle's done a pretty good job to address it. So, yeah, I think some big wins, you know, in the spring for the 2020 class and then this big win in the summer for the 2021 class. So I've been impressed with what he's brought in and what he's bringing in. Yeah, you know, certainly I was curious to see what his or what rather their recruiting strategy was going to be. And I think, again, I don't want to speak for it, but it's been mum on the words, you know, at this point. I think it's getting close to getting uh, assuming that Ethan will come back for his senior Mm. season if it hasn't already been you know, reported at this point with just kind of how the draft and everything shook out. I'm not going to say that for certainty as I still don't uh, know as it's been pretty quiet on that point. But uh, you, you mentioned it, you know, whether it was Deshaun Davis in this class, and I'm excited for what he'll bring in a year. But, you know, you go back to this last one, you know, you got uh, Maurice Kalou, you got Rodriguez Andela, Isaiah Johnson, a couple big forwards, um, uh, Worth Olashe as well, who, who may be eligible this year after transferring from Nichols State. And then uh, I'm really excited about what Tariq Silver is going to bring to that mm-hmm. two-guard position uh, uh, this year coming up, that 6'5", 200-pound uh, guard. He could really score as well. And um, I got to give credit. Like you said, they've gotten long. They've gotten lanky. And, you know, I think that was lacking at times. This, the, You know, there, you kind of missed that defensive stopper. You kind of needed more reliable scoring options uh, on the wing. It had kind of been a rotating door. And as I alluded to uh, in the mailbag today, there's been a couple misses in those, you know, JC uh, ranks throughout Tinkle's uh, tenure with guys that, you know, came in or guys that they thought would contribute. You know, I'm sure the coaching staff thought Peyton Dastrup would contribute a lot more than he ended up contributing. You know, you look at a guy like Derek Bruce, who arguably could have been Wayne Tinkle's point guard until I believe he would have graduated this last year, but, you know, didn't make it past that first year. And, you know, he was electric, you know, in the NCAA tournament game. Um, you know, you look at uh, a couple other of the, you know, Juco wings that didn't necessarily make it or didn't academically qualify. This looks like a, a group that, um, you know, is all in on being in Corvallis. And I like the guys that they've gone after kind of in this post uh, Stevie and post Trace era. It just kind of adding on to that. Finally, just to, to, to wrap it up a little bit. It's a it's definitely a big recruiting win. Just getting back on the topic of Davis. Uh, it's rare to beat out a school like Seton Hall for anybody. Seton Hall is a great, great, great basketball school. Um, totally. Just the fact that, that they were able to come in swooping so late. Again, that seems to be lost on people. It's not like Oregon State. Obviously, we know Seton Hall has been in this a while, but Oregon State has not by any means at all. The offer is very fresh to him. And, uh, you know, he saw the opportunity and uh, he quickly narrowed things down. And uh, still, the people seem to think that he was going to Seton Hall and for good reason. Uh, but, you know, obviously now that is not the case and uh, a very big recruiting win uh, on my book. And again, like Brendan said as well, uh, we touched on it in the mailbag, too. You, you kind of see them turn the tide over to the to the Juco guys and they seem to be having some success over there. Well, I, I think there's a, just to wrap up this final point on basketball. I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, the. Uh, you know, in basketball, I think for the Beavs, I think for a while, you know, we've seen it uh, 
from the school down south, there is certainly something to getting those JUCO guys that can come in and look like they're just ready to dominate the level. You know, you miss on some, you hit on others. But I've always said that's a quick way to kind of get that program back up is to get those JUCO guys that are really hungry to kind of make an impact and, you know, show what they have or even the grad transfer route as well. But um, uh, over to the women's basketball side and, you know, several years into the future, uh, Scott Rulick and company picked up uh, their first commitment in the 2022 class as uh, Adley Blacklock from Lubbock, Texas. Um, a rising shooting guard uh, joined the program. Six foot guard uh, can fill it up. A big time shooter can also uh, run the floor and uh, play some good defense as well. Uh, Naz, what was your reaction to uh, the Beavs landing? You know what we've come to expect from Ruick, just reloading every year. Yeah, another solid guard slash wing. I was talking to Lance uh, Qbeaver, and I was watching her highlight, and she just reminded me a little bit of that girl that played at Oregon uh, we don't like to talk about um, just how she was just so good at the pick and roll had a quick release this a, a good feel for the game knew where her teammates were was really good at finding the open person but yet you know had infinite range I, I mean some of her highlights she was hitting at three four feet behind the three-point line so without hesitation too and that's what you just like to see I mean that's a sophomore you know so yeah just excited bringing in another great player and you know, just I'm just a big fan of Scott Ruick and how he runs a program and how he's turned that around and where what he inherited and just what it is now. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, for, for me, you know, it obviously ended, you know, on a loss. But uh, my last experience covering a live event, you know, in 2020 was um, down in uh, Vegas for the Pac-12 Women's Tournament when the Beavers uh, dropped to Stanford after uh, knocking off Washington State in that first round. And that was like, you know, five or six days before, as we all know, the, the world kind of changed as we know it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I, I just I love to do as much as I can, you know, covering that program. And, you know, I love to be around that program and, you know, why, I, you know, elected to go down there for the women's tournament as opposed to the men's tournament. You know, mm-hmm. Scott Ruick puts up, you know, terrific program you know a terrific program every year but the thing Naz and Jared that I love most about who Scott is is the girls that he recruits in terms of their character um I was when I was able to talk to Adley last week uh and kind of uh, break down her commitment just such a respectful um young lady and just you know the, the the people that he recruits are just you know great people family oriented um and just super super respectful and I just I love the people he goes after. I absolutely love it. It's all about finding the high character people. That's uh that's something that's lost on a lot of programs. And the reason that you see a lot of programs have a lot of disciplinary issues. Um, but I I can't say enough just from watching pretty much from the outside in. I don't I don't do too much as far as the the women's basketball stuff goes, which I deeply regret uh, and and will certainly change after you know covering this team or. You know, being around the team, I should say, uh, and seeing, you know, just the success that they have and the, the awesome the awesome young women that, that Scott's able to bring in is it's it's truly exciting. And, uh, you know, I, I've been, definitely taken notice of it um, recently more so. And uh, like I said, it's something I'll have to to touch up on because it is certainly really cool to see him bring in all these awesome young women who are absolute ballers. Oh, certainly. And, and Naz, just from, from your perspective, 
what does it say about, you know, his recruiting ability and the program's reach that, you know, you look at this last class, you go back to this recent one, 2020, you had Sasha Goforth, Savannah Samuel coming from Arkansas and Georgia, mm. respectively. You now got Adley Blacklock from Texas. You look at Greta Cam Schroeder as well coming, you know, across country. What does that say about that program that you can, you know, bring in these girls that have never, you know, when I talked to Adley, she'd never been to Oregon before the visit that she was able to take in October. And just, you know, she was just shocked at the culture. I mean, it is a huge culture change. And to come and be able to, you know, land those girls for four or five years, depending on how it shakes. What does that say about where the program is right now? Yeah, just to add to that, and that that girl Anna from Portugal or wherever, and and the girl last year from the the six foot eight girl from Europe, yeah, just, just his, his reach is is infinite. Like you know, they, when when the girls obviously he's created a winning environment and they can see that, but I think probably just his personable attitude and the way he's able to reach these girls and tell them that he has. I've, I think I've read a couple times like. He has a specific plan for how he's going to use this girl. Like, I think I heard Sasha say that, like, you know, they're going to use me like this. This is what, you know, this is like their offense. And, you know, Katie McWilliams, I think, was one of the girls that they're kind of going to base what she's going to do after where Katie was definitely a two way player. And Sasha saw how they used her and was like, well, that's kind of how they said they're going to use me. So just how he's got such a specific plan for girls. And, you know, it can, like you said, it could be Arkansas, it could be Kansas. Texas it could be overseas and yeah just he's obviously connected and he's you know he's going to these AAU games and knows the high school coaches and the high school AAU coaches so yeah just I mean I've never met him but man just how he comes off on the interview and how personable he is and how his team really loves him I mean that just speaks volumes no, certainly, and and uh, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, keep the conversation going, Naz, as we uh, we lost Jared uh, briefly, but oh, we'll sure. hope to get him back. We'll hope to get him back on. As I think he might have had a few technical difficulties, but uh, continuing uh, just uh, uh, on the women's basketball mark, um, just with you know, obviously, you know, when I first started covering the program, you know, they were kind of on the rise, and I was lucky to you know catch them when they got to that Final Four, and that's kind of uh, when I first. Uh, really was able to, you know, grasp, you know, where this program was going. As far as, you know, your um, perspective of just kind of seeing it rise and seeing the, the Oregon State community really surround women's basketball, which, again, you know, this last year, you know, we, we mentioned the school to the south. Uh, Oregon and Oregon State were both able to, mm-hmm. at times, sell out their men's basketball program this year. And where else does that happen in the country other than maybe UConn and Notre Dame, maybe Baylor? Yeah, that's super impressive, too. Um, when I went to college at Oregon State, LaVonda Wagner was there, and, and I did attend a couple girls' games, and yeah, it's abysmal. There was a couple hundred people there. The product that was put out was awful. You know, you basically go there to see the good players from the other team. Um, to go there now where, yeah, it's, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder with people. There's people engaged the whole game. You know, there's... And, and just his outreach to the younger girls and stuff and how he has them after the game come up and they sign autographs. And I'm a father. I've got daughters. And just, you know, we're going to go to – we were planning to go to a game this, this winter. And just just how that – I mean, if if just how open he is to people being there. And I know different times they had games where just school kids could come and watch them play. I think it was preseason games. But, yeah, it's just, it's just like I said earlier, just amazing the, the transformation that program has made. and 
how the community and you know I know a lot of a lot of their fans are probably coming from Portland too, but just how that's really just developed. And it's cool. I mean, as much as I don't like that school to the south, it's cool to see that there too. You know, people engaged watching sports and how girls basketball has gotten. You know, women's basketball. I'm sorry, has gotten to the point it is in Oregon is is pretty impressive. No, and, and you know, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm kind of right there with you, just kind of with your perspective uh, um, on it, because you know, uh, I have a couple sisters as well, and you know, to kind of um, be able to see, you know, them go to, you know, those, you know, autograph sessions and kind of, you know, see, you know, girls that look like them that can, you know, kind of inspire them to want to play. I have a cousin as well that, you know, was growing up and just absolutely has embraced the women's basketball program and gone, you know, over and over again with. Um, uh, as I believe we have Jared back on, uh, going over and over again with, uh, you know, just what they've been able to do in their reach. And, and, and I will say, and I've said this before, so, you know, it is what it is. I I've said for a long time that, uh, I really respected not only Scott Ruick, but you know, the school to South Kelly Graves, um, yeah. had an opportunity to meet him several times and just, a, a terrific, you know, very similar mold, you know, the small school to, um, you know, kind of, you know, rose up the coaching ranks and, and runs, uh, um, you know, the right way. And that's just really cool for the sport of, you know, women's basketball, because it's grown so much just since I started covering uh, just in 2014. And I've been, you know, very blessed to be a part of it. It's, it's terrific to see this kind of awareness continue to grow. And that's when you get, you know, now in the, the, the South and, you know, like Nick, or now we have Sidney Weiss and Marie, it makes the WNBA a little bit more, you know, you're like, oh, there's a couple beeves out there. Oh, there's a couple, you know, if you're an Oregon fan, Sabrina's in the NBA now, WNBA now. And I think that will kind of help grow that, that women's basketball uh, model, so to speak. For sure. And uh, Jared, sorry, uh, have you, pass? the technical difficulties passed you, my friend. <laughs> yes. As of now, they're, they've come and gone. Hopefully we won't have to deal with it again. Well, as a producer uh, of a radio show myself, I must say I, I, live, uh, I live for those technical issues, man. They are the best parts of my day, especially when you're linking up people from different scenarios. Uh, Naz and I were just catching up, uh, ratch, or wrapping up, excuse me, uh, Adley Blacklock's commitment and just the reach that Scott Ruick had um, in his program. And we'll kind of now wrap up and shift back. Um, Jared, we've kind of talked a little bit about the recruiting updates. Um, just kind of, uh, you have anything kind of in the pipeline, I guess I'm just going to kind of go ahead and say that, uh, look this week, uh, I caught up with JT Byrne. I'll have a story uh, on him later this week, kind of talking about the California high school cancellation. Um, and then I'll also uh, have an update on, uh, 2021, uh, outside linebacker, uh, Brian Lighton as well. Um, what's, uh, what do you got working these days? Yeah, we got we got some good stuff coming this week. Of course, you have some some great stuff on the way. Uh, look for an update on Alex Lemon. I know that's something that uh, has been asked for, and definitely a situation that people are closely monitoring right now. Going to try to reach out to him, get in touch with him. Uh, also, look for an update on uh, an offensive lineman target that kind of got an offer and, and slipping under the radar a little bit. His name is Dylan Rollins. Uh, both of you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but he, he's a guy that, that I was able to get in touch with today, going to be on the phone with him soon, and uh, look for an update on him as well. I think uh, I think there's a lot of interest there on both sides. Uh, just for a little introduction, since, I, like I said, not many people are too familiar with him yet. He's, uh, he's a b bigger kid again, kind of like the mold that we were talking about, 
Uh, Coach M seems to be seems to be looking forward. Fits the mold perfectly. Got some great Ivy League offers, uh, so he's got the brains. And uh, just just continue to to keep a close eye on us because we have the best and the most recruiting updates you can find. Most certainly, I couldn't have said it any better myself, Jared. And uh, Naz, again, a terrific thanks for uh, you sticking with us, Jared. I think uh, I, I'm not going to say just uh, because it was Naz, but uh, compared to the last two podcasts, uh, Jacob, you've definitely uh, made it a lot longer than Hard Rock and uh, oh. Jordan Post made it. So, How about that? Is that good or bad? I would say that's pretty good. I, I mean, good. we had a pretty good conversation. I mean, you were in it, rolling it. I think we had some a lot to talk about. Uh, we really yeah, appreciate you jumping on. It was an awesome no conversation. Yeah. I wasn't even in here, and I come back. You guys are still full fledged going. That's great. No problem. That's uh, that's the life, you know. It's right now. It's uh, all we can do is kind of talk about sports right now until they, you know, kind of come back to our fruition, so to speak. So again, huge props to Naz for joining us. We really appreciate it, and uh, make sure to check back for another edition. Uh, Jared and I will have to see who's next in line to jump on uh, the Edge podcast now. So that'll be. Exciting times. And a reminder, if you are interested in wanting to do that, if you're a Beaver's Edge premium subscriber, just go ahead and shoot Jared or I our message. We'd love to get you on. We'd love having this new segment where we're able to connect uh, us with our subscribers. And uh, it's always a a good time. And we definitely have some laughs as well. So, uh, again, a big shout out to Naz and uh, Jared. Uh, Appreciate you, fellas. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Always a good time. Thanks, Thanks, Jacob. No problem. For Jacob, a.k.a. Nazarite, and Jared Hallis, I'm Brendan Slaughter signing off from this edition of the Edge Podcast. Again, keep it locked at beaversedge.com for all the latest updates as we continue to have our quest back for football. We're hoping it's uh, upcoming. So, again, keep it locked at beaversedge.com. Big shout-out to Naz once again. Uh, This will be Brendan Slaughter signing off on this edition of the Edge Podcast.